Good afternoon from the Journal Star. I'm Associate Editor Chris Kiergaard alongside columnist Nick Blahos. And joining us today are Park District, Peoria Park District Executive Director Emily Cahill and Deputy Director Brent Wheeler. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you guys for both coming in. Yeah, thanks for being here today. We're glad to be here. Thank you. I want to start off. Uh, Park District made some news last night at its board meeting. Uh, uh, you guys have decided to go ahead and add solar panels through a, a local Peoria-based group onto, I believe it's four buildings within the Park District, saving projected hundreds of thousands of dollars over over their life, right? Right. So there's a couple reasons that we really jumped in quickly on the solar opportunity. First of all, it helps our annual operating budget. So by putting solar panels at Lakeview Recreation, Center, Noble Center, Owen Center, so all in Lakeview mm-hmm. Park, and then at the Riverplex, it really helps our operating budget. It's going to reduce our overall uh, utility cost, but it's also really important, we think, as a park district to take a lead on that and be a visible uh, reminder of people of that opportunity and that commitment by the state to really make solar a focus in the coming year. So we're excited to be sort of ahead of the game, if you will, and we look mm-hmm. forward to next spring celebrating the placement of those solar panels. Okay, and, and those will be placed starting in the spring? And- uh, I think they're targeted target is actually to have those in place April or May. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get the bulk of the year next year and then every year thereafter out of That's them. right. That's right. So it's a 30-year mm-hmm. agreement that we have, um, and we look forward to seeing what it means. I think there is some uncertainty, uh, but we feel like it's it's certainly an investment worth it from our perspective because of the environmental potential impacts mm-hmm. and because of the savings. Right. Uh, and, and how much savings are we looking at, just a, a rough projection on an annual basis? So what they've told us is that depending on the facility, it's um, sort of at or close to 30% potentially of utility costs at Noble and Lakeview. It's going to be slightly less than that at Owens because of all the electricity it Mm -hmm. takes Mm -hmm. to keep ice frozen. Um, And then the Riverplex obviously has aquatics, but we'll see an impact there. But I think we're estimating like $100,000 a year in annual savings when it comes to utilities Mm -hmm. across total across the four facilities. Okay. Now, this is something that uh, didn't just walk in the door. This is something you guys have been looking at for a while and, and vetting and deciding what to do with it, correct? Right. So we've been looking at this probably for about 18 months at this point. We, lo- we met with several different vendors, looked at opportunities not only for our individual facilities, but also to participate in community solar, that opportunity where mm-hmm. we can put energy back on the grid for others to use. Um, we're not done. Mm-hmm. This was that first round of applications to the state that allowed us to do these four projects, and we look forward to potentially working with the same group <coughs> or others mm-hmm. to continue to increase our solar participation. Okay. And, and this is Hawkatolo that, that you guys are working with locally. Correct, correct. And we had spent an, uh, a good amount of time and resources in recent years going through all our facilities, doing energy audits, mm-hmm. trying to, you know, make these facilities and, and parks as efficient as humanly possible. This is kind of the next step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of that work done. This is kind of the next phase. And as technology improves, we'll continue to look for opportunities. What, what can be done with the potential savings monetarily from this? Well, the good thing is, you know, these are these are operational dollars that we desperately need as yep. a park district. So, um, what can be done with them? Almost anything. What it's going to allow us to do is to um, continue our conservation efforts, uh, delve deeper into social equity issues. Um, it's going to keep, quite honestly, it's going to be able to keep people employed that yeah. we desperately need to keep employed because of the work they do and facilities up and operating. So it's, it's, 
it couldn't come at a better time for us. Mm -hmm. Right. So we've talked about, and and we aren't the only ones that have talked about Mm -hmm. the impact of some of those minimum wage increases, Mm -hmm. right, over the next several years. And the reality is, is that by 2025, the impact to the park district, if we don't change our levels of service, it's about $2 million. So when we're able to save dollars with things like solar, not only does it make us better, Mm -hmm. but it allows us to reallocate dollars into existing programs. And certainly, Brent's right, we want to use it to make the park district better, but it also helps us to keep operating at the levels that we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Now, is this something that, that the board would potentially look at expanding onto other facilities if, if the opportunity presents itself? Mm, definitely. I think they're really excited at that opportunity to look at those kinds of potential sources of not only, you know, like shifted mm-hmm. revenue, but also really that opportunity to approach power in a different way. Um, I know several of them are very, very interested in that community solar piece, Mm -hmm. that if we were to have a parcel large enough that could be used for a solar array to help, especially low-income families, that's something that we're Mm -hmm. really trying to prioritize. And we're looking at a couple of vendors that are assessing our properties right now to see if we have any space big enough Mm -hmm. that's located, you have to be located close to a, a power transformer mm-hmm. i don't know all the details yeah. but so it limits what our inventory mm-hmm. could be used for but we're certainly trying to assess that right now to see what those opportunities look like one place we've talked about is uh consideration of using the whole parking lot at the riverplex to put mm-hmm. solar panels above that you see that in some places it almost turns it into like a parking garage mm-hmm. right so it's you park under there and it's kind of dry and there's no snow but mm-hmm. that the, the solar panels then they generate significantly more power than what you would on a roof so mm-hmm. that's an opportunity that we're trying to investigate as well. Kind of interesting. So be almost mm-hmm. like a carport then? Kind of, yeah. Okay. That's what it looks like. And it's yeah. really cool, but it allows you to put a lot more panels in one spot, which mm-hmm. then obviously generates more energy. Right. And you want to have a place that gets more more solar to begin with, which limits right. you. Certainly Forest Park is not going to be an ideal spot for it. No, or probably not. Right. Yeah. But but yeah. there are places like that where you have large parking lots that may. Right. And mm-hmm. so we have, as a park district, we have about 8,900 acres of land. Not all mm-hmm. of those are parks, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So we do own parcels uh, throughout the, really the basically tri-county area. Mm-hmm. Some of those are used for things like agriculture. Some of them are just um, nature preserves that mm-hmm. aren't necessarily always open to the public. And so there are opportunities for us to consider land use mm-hmm. and how we want to use those again to further the park district and our community in the best possible way. So that's the assessment that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And to, to show you just kind of how far we're going was trying to leave no stone unturned. Um, the technology really isn't there to do this yet, but we've looked at, for example, at the Riverplex. They're getting closer to being able to take the power generated from a treadmill or an mm-hmm. elliptical oh. and being able to put it back into your grid. Now, it's not oh, huge energy, but when mm-hmm. you consider the volume of people going through the Riverplex and, mm-hmm. and the amount of steps taking place on those treadmills, yeah. every little bit helps. So we're going to keep our eye on that as well. It's really fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sort of feels like a hamster on a wheel, but yeah. mm-hmm. move forward and see what no, happens. Okay, yeah, with all that energy, mm-hmm. yeah, I can right. understand where some of it could be siphoned back off again. Right. You get, get double the use from your exercise. That's right. That's <laughs> benefit right. you, benefit the environment. That's right. you got to love it, right? Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. The... Um, 
you know, getting off the solar for a yep, moment. Sure. Uh, you know, you guys have kind of narrowed your golf full footprint here the last couple of years, closed mm-hmm. a couple of courses. Uh, you know, rounds, I guess, were down a little bit, uh, although it sounded like they maybe curved back up a little bit and maybe were better than expectations uh, toward the end of this past season. Uh, how did that all work out, and what does the future hold for golf in the Park District? Want to go first? Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, um, and one that we wrestle with on a pretty continual basis. Yep. Um, I guess as a precursor, it, it, I should mention this is not unique to Peoria. This is golf mm-hmm. across the country. Um, now, in Asia, golf is booming, similar to the way it was when the Tiger Woods um, phenomenon mm-hmm. really took place here. Over since about 2010, though, golf in the United States has plummeted. Our rounds have gone from about 225,000 rounds per year down to we're looking at about 80,000 rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we've had some things go our way. We've also had a really wet spring this year that did not help us a whole lot. Um, you're right. We did close um, 18 holes at Donovan and then another nine at Detweiler. But when you consider the amount of holes we still have and the holes that are found in the private sector on other golf courses – Peoria still has a tremendous amount of golf for any place in the country, but certainly for the amount of golfers that we have. So um, it's something we have to continually look at. We need to make sure that the product is right and that there's we don't give anyone a reason to go elsewhere mm-hmm. because we need to keep those local rounds local so that we can keep these courses operating. What things is the Park District maybe have in mind to either keep keep that in, uh, going or to maybe even grow it a little bit? If yeah. You can. There's unfortunately there's there doesn't seem to be a magic bullet out there right. because it's a nationwide trend. You have an entire country of of people in the golf community trying to figure these things out. No one has really shown what that is yet. Mm-hmm. For us, we need to make sure the courses are nice, and they are. Mm-hmm. They're in, they're in terrific shape. shape. The price point has to be affordable, and they are. Um, one of the things we're really trying to do is is do some outreach in the schools. Um, make sure that kids think about golf at an early age so that we can get them into the system and and hopefully have them come through because what happens is you know when people age out of being able to physically go out onto the golf course anymore there's just not a lot of people replacing them Um, and there's a number of factors for people in their 30s and 40s that 10 years ago were seen on golf courses four or five times a year they're not there anymore at all Um, we could we could go all day about the impact of travel sports and the schedule um, mm-hmm. as a parent and what that means and and the ability to golf. But it's again, it's a phenomenon we're all dealing with, so it's not going to change anytime soon. What sort of changes or modifications or anything are you guys looking at at the current courses you've got, either in the way they're you know maintenance structure, uh, price, what have you? We've looked at about everything over the years is, is, as you referenced earlier, because this is not a new phenomenon. We've already had to go through some very difficult steps to close the two courses that we did. Right. Um, a lot of the changes we've been putting in, such as no mow areas, and mm-hmm. onto the golf courses, so there's a little less mowing that takes place in areas that aren't going to impact the game. Um, chemical use going from brand names to generics restructuring the workforce and the and how we do things looking at technology from even from mowers and right. sand rakes and all the things that go into maintaining the course and trying to figure out the most efficient ways possible to again deliver an affordable product that's still really quality 
Are green seas going to remain steady at this point, or are you looking at an increase for next season? No, they're going to remain steady. So we are, you will hear next month in our budget presentation, we are trying to look at some creative ways to engage the golfers in the region that are here. Uh, so we will be proposing an opportunity where an existing uh, pass, pass user will be able to bring a friend. So Nick, if you have a pass and you want to invite Chris to play, you could get a pass and <laughs> you would, would be both... would a terrible game. It, would, it may not be very fun. Speaking for but, myself, I know it would be. Right. But. But, but you'd have the opportunity yeah. then to both save mm-hmm. on your pass. So we're trying to engage as many users as possible. If you think about the system that we do have, mm-hmm. there are you know such a variety of experiences in the mm-hmm. Peoria Park District, and to engage golfers in the best way that we can to get them to play with us, certainly that's part of our commitment at this point, is to really think about customer service, visitor experience, um, trying to balance then cutting costs with revenue generation. It gets tougher and tougher in the market. You know, Brent mm-hmm. is exactly right. There are fewer golfers. Um, um, we're proud to say, though, that local golfers that were very successful last weekend as part of the IHSA tournament, mm-hmm. the 1A girls champ, you know, takes lessons with one of our pros. I think the the boys champ does, too. Um, and certainly Notre Dame, they practice with us. And so there's a lot of connections to really good golf. Mm-hmm. And it happens at the Park District. I think people need to, I hope, I hope that they see the need to come and try it out because it's working for a lot of people instead of just saying, yeah, no, thanks, because that's the Park district there's some really good stuff happening on our golf courses so let me get this straight if you're a pass holder you could get to bring a friend of yours to play for no additional so, cost. so you well if you have a if you pay for a season pass mm-hmm. right this this year it's what 799 dollars mm-hmm. right next year what we're proposing is that if you buy a pass for that same amount, you and your friend will both pay less than that to get a season pass. Oh, so it's like a, it's not really a buy one, get one, but mm-hmm. you both get a, a significant discount on your total cost in order to engage more people in the system. Sure. I didn't explain it very well. We're still practicing <laughs> on all that, but yeah, we'll get there. No, that's that's a pretty good deal. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah we hope so. Yeah. Definitely. It, incidentally, I had not realized until I started doing research for a, an upcoming article. Right. Uh, the history behind golf in Peoria and and that it really started to take off near the beginning of the Great Depression okay. at, at the same time that the area just north of Nebraska now had been part of the, the Bradley property that, that's become Bradley yep. Park. Yep. The golf course was put in there and the park district at the time helped use civilian work, labor, our, our very own mini WPA project okay. where we paid laborers to work three days a week there to help keep people in some form of employment during the first couple of years of the Great Depression. Okay. You know more about that than I do. That's good stuff. spent a lot of time reading the the history for the Park District. That would would have been in Newman and Northmore or just in Newman? Uh, Newman, I think. That's you learn something new every day. I have no right. idea that any of yeah. that was Good the case. stuff. Yeah. That's neat stuff. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. 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 Moving a little bit, I guess, off of golf and sure. some other, some other perhaps sports, you know, there's been talk on the East Bluff of maybe uh, mm-hmm. trying to expand the, uh, the Park District's footprint there, specifically at Glen Oak School. Uh, what's the latest with that? 
So um, my understanding is that uh, we certainly are very willing and interested to work with the school district and we continue to have conversations. We had joint, jointly applied for a grant to do some physical work there in the, on their uh, campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, my understanding is that grant is going to sort of be modified and they'll come back and give us an opportunity to clarify some of that information. So we hope that that works out. Um, but we're pleased to be good partners with them and figure that out. We're talking a lot about what summer programming in that area might look like. Um, as a park district, we are really committed to that programming that needs to happen where instead of expecting everybody to come to us, right, we're really talking about how we take the programming to the people. Sure. And so um, it's always interesting to me that people say, well, the park district doesn't do anything in the East Bluff. And you think about Glen Oak Park, right mm-hmm. that one's that one's kind of tough for us because we spend i think the subsidy in glen oak park when you take all the elements and add it together mm-hmm. you're talking about more than two million dollars a year of tax dollar tax dollars go into glen oak park which is right there and used and loved by residents of the east bluff right, and you and got the, the zoo the, right there and you've got zoo, the botanic earth and, and, and the children's and the museum mm-hmm. and you know great tennis courts and beautiful green space um lots of really cool things are happening there and so we're trying to figure out how to not only educate the community about everything that happens there, but also then think about where those opportunities are for more programming. And so, you know, we were kind of teasing about, well, when winter comes and we start doing all the planning for the next year, and it's it's like when things slow down, that doesn't happen. But our commitment to this winter, really thinking about what programming looks like in lots of parts of our community is something that we're really focused on. We have um, a social equity in, uh, initiative. We just had our board receive and file a, a review Vice commitment to diversity document where we approach our role as a park district in addressing diversity issues in our community and one of the ways to do that is through really equitable access to parks and facilities and programming and so that's a real focus of ours and we'll be looking at opportunities to engage the community in better ways um, mm-hmm. we have an employee who sits on the East Bluff Neighborhood Housing Services uh, Board to help to build those connect- connectivity opportunities we do programming at Glen Oak School. We've actually adopted their little free pantry there, for example, and all of our facilities are collecting canned goods and, and food to put in that little free pantry every week. So we're trying to build better relationships in that neighborhood specifically, but mm. our role as a park district is to really focus on improving health and wellness in our community. And so we're looking at sort of different, innovative, out-of-the-box ways to do that instead of just waiting for people to come to us in our facilities. What, what form of programming at Glen Oak School, what might that take? The form, you mean? Yeah. It really could be anything. We would focus most of our attention to start on the summer months Mm -hmm. because Glen Oak School, especially with some of the grants that they've received that we're a part of, um, we provide a lot of after-school programming already. We would like to kind of continue that out into the summer months so that um, potentially run a camp, a summer camp for kids out of there. Um, There's ample space for, for soccer ample space for basketball mm-hmm. um, and really any other type of programming. Now, in the past, you know, if, and we've, we've looked at the map so many times, it's, there's so much dense residential area there. In the past, it would, you know, people would say, how do you create green space you know, right. in the East Bluff? Well, we can't necessarily afford to do that, and there's not really a, a quick and easy way to do it. That's where the partnerships come in. Mm-hmm. And you know, from a programming standpoint, it doesn't have to be just Glen Oak School. <clears throat> it can be the Boys and Girls Club. It can be the East Bluff um, 
community center. I mean, we don't feel the need to own everything. Mm-hmm. What we want to do is take some of the things that we can bring to the table and help use them as kind of carrots for everyone else as well in mm-hmm. partnership so that we can grow what everyone else is doing because there's just not enough yeah. dollars for us all to do the same thing in competition. Mm-hmm. We have to collaborate. And this is a good opportunity for us. Mm-hmm. And with an area like the school, when that school was first rebuilt, one of the, one of the things that, that residents and taxpayers were, were told about that was that the intent was for that to be in much more heavily used space throughout the year, throughout the day right. and into the evening to right. have access and a, a safe location for for kids to be right. throughout that time. In a lot of ways, mm-hmm. it's a park with a school in the middle, That's right? Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So for us to think about shared vocabulary with the school district and mm-hmm. how we can use that space to engage that neighborhood is something that I know they're interested in as well. We just have to figure out the best way mm-hmm. to do it. So that's one of the things that we look forward to doing over the next couple of months and figuring out what the resources are. But certainly there's there's a lot of opportunity there for programming, and we look forward to being a part of that. And when you talk about being a responsible steward of taxpayer dollars, right. what's more responsible than taking a campus that is already there mm-hmm. with right. so many lovely amenities already and partnering to make it as vibrant as you can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Go ahead. I was going to say, what else is new that's going on with the Park District that maybe our viewers and, and listeners might want to know about? Right now, we are just wrapping up a budget cycle. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess I can't say too much on that yet, but we are very close to the end of it. Right. Um and, and we feel pretty good about where we're at right now. Um, I think our experience is fairly <clears throat> similar to the cities, right? In that this is sort of a non-event event kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. That it is, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel the same way that some of our it's, last budget cycles have been, where it's mm-hmm. like we got to cut this and close yeah. that and do all those sorts of things. It, it's, it's not that dire. It's not that, mm-hmm. but but the reality, Chris, is is that we see what's coming, mm-hmm. right? So we've talked about minimum wage in 2025 mm-hmm. being fully implemented. We've talked about you know those kinds of challenges. We also we've had a lot of conversation recently about this. Uh, 2019 is our 125th anniversary, mm-hmm. right? And so we've spent a lot of time looking backwards and celebrating that history. It's also, as we close out this year, a real opportunity for us to think about looking forward. And so to think about what are those opportunities in the park district where we need to reimagine some of the things that we're doing, for lack of a better word. How do we evolve so that we are relevant for those next 125 years? So we feel like there's a lot of opportunity for us to begin conversations with the community about their needs and wants Certainly in the context of what our financial realities are, but it's important for us to not just rest on our laurels and say, we're going to do the same thing we did last year and the year before, and the same people are going to come, and it's going to be great. We have to change to meet the changing needs of our community, and so that's really where our focus is. So it's one of those things where you say, what's new? Well, nothing right now, but we got a lot of things bubbling that we look forward to really rolling out in the right order Mm -hmm to make positive change in the community. And if you go program by program, facility by facility, I mean, there's always stuff that's new. I mean, we run almost 3,000 programs a year. Um, So to say nothing's new, you know, Every day there's something there's new. Always, there's something new. There's always Whether something it's interesting new. to you is probably the question, <laughs> Correct. right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Now, as Emily noted, 
because of the minimum wage piece especially, and if the EAV stays relatively stagnant, mm-hmm. we know that we have to reimagine, re-envision mm-hmm. some really big things, some things that you can't just quickly pivot yeah. and, and create. So we really, I mean, this first wave of minimum wage, not super impactful because, mm-hmm. you know, the bump wasn't that much and some right. people were already there. But in the, in the subsequent years, everybody who is in that category, which mm-hmm. we have almost a thousand part-time employees, mm-hmm. um, as they all start to move up together, that's a significant impact. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we have to start now working on some really big things that may not come to fruition for two, three, four years down the yeah. road, but they're yeah. gonna meet up with those minimum wage increases. Is that also going to cause people who maybe weren't making minimum wage or they're cause a bump up in their pay as There's well? always a compression yep. issue and we have to evaluate yeah. those piece by piece, absolutely. So over time it will have impact on not only part-time employees, but full-time as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it is a process that we are thoughtfully looking at so that we're trying not to get too caught, but everybody talks about, you know, like, 2020 is pretty okay. 2021, we can probably manage. Once you get to 2022, 2023, it gets much more difficult because it reaches more people that we're going to butt up against that threshold. And so it does really impact. If you're talking about $2 million in an annual budget of 40, that's a significant mm-hmm. shift that's going to have to happen or we're going to have to make change in our operations. And that's, you know, that's that unintended consequence of that that we're going to have to figure out what that looks like and we're, we're talking to lots of other park districts lots of other municipalities to see what those opportunities look like to see where you know resource sharing whatever it might be we're trying to be as creative as possible to lessen the impact on the larger community and, and really none of this is a judgment on the minimum wage increase. No, yeah. we think it's it's, just, it's, 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 a, a, it's a right it's just thing. A reality. Right? It is a reality that you have to assess. But there's an impact that happens yeah. when on one side mm-hmm. it has to happen on the other. And yeah, that's what we have to figure out. And, and, are, that's, right. And, and, that's right. And you can't react to that the year it happens. Otherwise, things become Trouble. more drastic. Right. You have right. to look at it several years out. Right. And but, our hope yeah. is that with additional dollars in more people's pockets, that they'll choose to spend them with the Peoria Park District, and and they'll mitigate some of that two million dollar impact. That's right. Now. I want to go back to something that we've talked about yeah. uh, previous times that, sure. that we've spoken, which is sort of the, the stabilizing influence that, that parks right. can have on, on some of the neighborhoods uh, and some of the, the notions out there on, on public safety in, right. in parks. Sure. So um, actually, our well, there's a whole network of park districts across the country, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the conversations that we have very regularly is the impact that parks can have on communities. Um, obviously, there's you know those basic ideas. There's an mm-hmm. environmental impact of having green space in a community. There's um, an economic impact when you think about home values near parks that mm-hmm. generally those are higher than in other parts of a community. But there are also things tied to safety for example, and building a sense of community. If you have a gathering place for people, you know, they get to know their neighbors, they, when they go out in the morning to walk their dog, they, they you know, they say mm-hmm. hi, whatever. There's a, there's a, there's a whole social piece mm-hmm. that comes with it. But the safety piece that comes is something that we take very seriously. And our parks as a- active open spaces, we believe, and we, you know, our data tends to prove that, that they're, they're safe places to be. Are they, are they perfect? No. But 
traditionally research shows us that where there's green space where there is open space there is less crime mm. it's out in the open right yeah. it, people are people are going to see you mm-hmm. that's not the best choice for places to commit a crime and so mm-hmm. there's a perception and a conversation around some of our parks and, and some of it comes so so you know we'll be very mm. open right so the yeah. challenge was when a crime is reported and it's said well that was right next to Glen Oak Park then the calls that I get increase mm-hmm. because people say well can I go to the park can I go to the zoo is it safe for my family to be there when the reality is those parks are are as safe as we can make them mm-hmm. and over the last couple of years we have made a real commitment to having security in present and visible mm-hmm. so that people see that as a deterrent we've spent a lot of time talking with our staff about their expectation is you know you may you may be mowing or picking up trash but if you see something happening you know everybody carries around on their little ID badge the the non-emergency number to call for police dispatch to ask mm-hmm. for help or you know so so we're all engaged in that element mm-hmm. as an employee of the park district whether we're you know in in our jobs or we're the the maintenance worker we all know the expectation is if we see something that doesn't look right we call that number and we ask mm-hmm. for help and so the expectation is that we are all committed to that and we want our patrons to know that we are committed to that can we guarantee that it's perfect i don't think anybody can do that in today's Mm -hmm. world but we know that it's something that we value very seriously and we want people to know that that's a commitment of ours Mm -hmm. Um, and so so when that happens and we become you know place markers or wayfinders for people Mm -hmm. there's an unintended consequence of that as well and our goal is to really talk to people about the stabilizing force that parks can be in neighborhoods Mm -hmm. those open gathering places where people come and and recreate and have a great time and generally they're very very positive Mm -hmm. they're spaces that should be honored as that there's a reason people choose to live near near or next to parks Mm -hmm. that's right Mm -hmm. that's right we are always looking at not only our data, the data of other park districts, research, scholarly research done across the country. Unfortunately, there's there's no data that says parks decrease crime as a whole. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of data that says parks displace crime. And it's to the really Emily's point was that when you have a vibrant park, when you have a lot of usage, when you have um, security and police, you know, as an active presence, that's not where criminals want to be. So those areas, those parks and those areas, those neighborhoods around those parks are absolutely much safer than, mm-hmm. you know, other places. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, criminals go to other places. Maybe it's right. a vacant lot from, you know, an old retail store, wherever it might be. So unfortunately, it's not a magic bullet, but it is a safe haven for people to go and enjoy. Mm-hmm. And we hope people honor them as that. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. All right. Anything else that uh, you guys want to put out there for us to be aware of? Any other initiatives that are going on? You know what? I would just let people know that I think a lot of times people don't think about the park district from about now when it gets really chilly outside until (laughs) April when the flowers start coming out. But we do offer a lot of really great opportunities in the fall and winter. It's Mm going to hopefully get a little bit warmer again, and there's still time Mm -hmm. to play golf, Nick, and we'd love to have you out there. (laughs) Still time Um, for golf. You you wouldn't love to see me out there. The the poinsettia show. You know what? We have alcohol. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the new exhibit. The new exhibit. Yeah, so that's it. Yes, thank you so 
the Children's Museum just opened a new exhibit called, called Fossils Rock, mm-hmm. which is really outstanding. For, first new exhibit since first, they opened, that's right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Again, you know more about this than what I'm saying. That's fantastic. But you can always take a swim lesson in the winter, which people mm-hmm. don't think of, um, ice skating lessons. There's lots of stuff that happens. There really isn't a quiet time for the park district. So we'd love for people to go to the website or you know like us on Facebook. We try to engage people in lots of programming mm-hmm. regardless of the weather. So... I think that would be the biggest thing I'd want to remind people of. Okay. Brent, Emily, thank you both for coming in. Thank we you. We appreciate the time to chat. Yeah, yeah thank you very fun. much. Thanks very much. Thanks. Very good. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks.